0: Hello? Anybody home?
1: Today, I want you to open your mind.
0: I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude.
1: We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. We are
0: opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence to change
1: the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world
2: especially the United States
4: Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert in the beautiful state of Arizona, I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. I'd like to welcome you to the broadcast whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. Morning, noon, or night, in The Secret Teachings free archive on our website. You can get the RSS feed there to plug into your radio or podcast player. You can also Download those shows, but they do have advertisements in them, so if you'd like to get the ad-free version of the show and a whole lot more, you can subscribe to the ad-free archive on that same website, which will get you access to be able to download the ad-free shows. You'll get a private RSS feed. You'll get our montage archive and digital copies of my books. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and check out what we have available there on the website. You can also find my books on the website, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, and the Technological Elixir, our affiliate sponsor, Pro One Water Filters. The link is on the top of the website page, and there is a link as well, or you can simply go to their website, Patreon, for behind the scenes content, including videos of myself and the secret teachings. That's the secret teachings on Patreon. We're also on social media at Gab and Gitter. And Facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, if you'd like to contact me directly, I don't have a team here, so when you send an email, it comes directly to me. R D G A B L E R D Gable at Yahoo.com. That's R D G A B L E R D Gable at Yahoo.com. That's the fastest, most efficient way to get in contact with us here on the show. Tomorrow night we will be doing a special memorial show for our good friend Jordan Maxwell, who passed away. I didn't mention it last night on the show, although I did find out before the show last night. I wanted to get some of the details to make sure everything was accurate, what I was hearing. No, the deep state didn't take Jordan Maxwell out. No, the cabal didn't take Jordan Maxwell out. Jordan Maxwell was elderly. Jordan Maxwell was kind of sick. And uh, I think he was, from knowing him pretty well, he was He was ready to to go. He was enjoying his life, but he had lost a lot of weight toward the end. And he was, uh, I think, very successful in his life and uh, kind of the godfather of a lot of the things that we talk about on late night radio. He was also kind of a a protégé of our favorite author here on the show, Manly Palmer Hall, for which this show is named after his The Secret Teachings of All Ages. And uh, Jordan and I used to talk about that. So we'll be doing a memorial show tomorrow. Probably have Leo Zagami uh, Brad Olson is going to stop by, probably, and Kristan uh, Harris is going to stop by, just for a few minutes, to say their respects to Jordan. little memorial show, again, here tomorrow night on The Secret Teachings. Tonight, we're going to speak with comedian, ventriloquist, and magician John Peasy about the state of comedy today, and uh, maybe about the esoteric, maybe about the occult. I'm not sure where the show is going to take us. John has been an opening act for entertainers like... Al Martino, Joy Behar, Weird Al Yankovic, Jerry Vale, and others. He's also been on America's Got Talent and performs as a national headliner at comedy clubs, resorts, colleges, and theaters across the United States, including his regular appearances at the Riviera Hotel in Las Vegas, the Borgata Hotel in Atlantic City, and as a member of the Friars Club in New York City and Los Angeles. His website is Johnpeasy.com. that's J-O-H-N-P-Z-I-P-I-Z-Z-I dot com. John, welcome to the Secret Teachings.
0: Hey,
2: Ryan, I am so happy to be here. I've listened to your show for years. Big fan.
4: I'm happy to hear that. And and uh, you know, you decided to come on the show anyway, although you've listened to it. You don't think this is going to be a career stopper.
2: Uh, no, I actually hope first of all, after you're reading my resume, I'm laughing in the background like when I start hearing names like Jerry Vale and and uh, the Riviera which is closed now in Vegas, I'm laughing at at uh I have to really update that resume. It makes me yeah, sound like a 1960s cash killer pack. You know?
4: <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but that's what you gave me. That's on the website.
2: <laughs> it's probably on my website. <laughs> that goes to show you how antiquated my website is. I have website 1.0 1996, apparently.
4: Well, e- even so, you're still performing all over the country. You did a performance last night in New York, right?
2: Yes, I've been uh, extremely busy, even through this pandemic. I've been so blessed, if that's if if there's somebody up above, they're helping me out. I've been very blessed with work. Thank God. Yeah.
4: Well, you, you and I share a lot in common, John. I mean, you you talk with dummies all day. I talk to a lot of dummies here in late night radio. It's-
2: <laughs> I actually prefer your dummies. They make you think. The ones that we have, the ones that I'm speaking to they have they have nothing in their head. They like politics.
4: Hey, I heard there's you. something going on. I heard you have a, a a Donald Trump and a Joe Biden
2: dummy. You know, yeah, uh, being a ventriloquist, it, it would only make sense to have something that appeals to 50% of each public, right, that you perform for. Uh, and yeah, I have a, a, a Joe Biden, I have a Donald Trump, I also have a, a Hillary Clinton, and a uh, her husband, Bill Clinton. And I have to tell you, it, a, it's really interesting when you take out these characters in front of people, their behavior and reactions to them. Um, it's it's almost silly that the very uh, uh, interestingly enough, I was working at a comedy club in Chester, New York, uh, and I just got in the Hillary Clinton puppet. But this is when um, the president was Trump at the time. So I got into Hillary Clinton. And so I wrote these jokes and I, had, I basically didn't have Hillary say anything but what she had actually said on her campaign. So
4: you got like quotes from the campaign.
2: Yeah. And then you just say them in a funny way in her her voice and somewhat uh, yeah basically repeating what they say because a lot of things these people say are very funny uh, off the bat i mean even look at some of the stuff biden has, has said he's like he'll say things and he mumbles and it's kind of whether you like him or not it's funny and he'll say uh, you know, like what the hell is that all about <laughs> what did he just say you know i don't know so uh when i took her out i wrote i wrote a couple of jokes about things that she had said and I was at this comedy club in Chester, New York, who I became friends with the owners, Guy Wolf, and uh, I take her out, I'm not, I don't, she's out there like a minute and a half, two minutes, and uh, some lady gets really offended, stands up, and starts literally taking out the, um, the slices of lemons and oranges in her drink, and throwing them at me on stage. <laughs> I was just like I, was like, I never seen anything like that happen in my life. I I mean, I'm standing there getting hit with a fruit salad, and uh, and 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 people start turning on her, ironically. Uh, and it, it made me think, like, is you, you know, I, I got to tell you this. This is what I think is going on. I, and I know you didn't even ask me this question, but I'm going down this rabbit hole a little bit. I think what's happened is, and. The social media world that we live in over the last decade, people became, you know, I guess like uh, quarterback, armchair quarterbacks, if you will. And they were sitting there typing away, telling people how they felt strongly and, you know, giving you the big, finger big, online, big, and, big
4: capital letters.
2: Yeah. Yelling at you in, in capital letters. Yeah. And they, and they became very boisterous in their opinion. And they started to believe their opinion was really much more important than they are. The, the, the narcissism of the opinion was strong. So what happened is after years and years of doing that, now you think you can go in public and behave the same way. And I don't think he really should or can, but that's what's happening. No, I think it's, they, beer arms have grown up into stronger, you know, cocktail arms, if you will.
4: Yeah, it's, it's like the, the opinion of the ignorant individual has been given license to be conceived or perceived as a, as a fact. And then people that actually investigate things and find factual information, if they're not an expert or they're not the protected group of the day, those facts become opinions. We've really switched what an opinion and a fact is, and I think you're 100% right, John. We have got an Internet community that has come into the real world, and they think they can act the same way, and that's kind of broken the social contract a little bit.
2: That was very well put. The souls broken the social contract. Yeah, that's very well put. That's kind of like where it's at. Yeah, and so I, that was my first experience of it. I mean, I've, I've clearly doing. Con, I'm, I'm a I'm a variety act. I'm not necessarily. I hate talking about myself. By the way, I, as it comes out of my my head and my eyeballs, I'm like ugh. But just the preface. I'm a variety act. I'm a I'm a comedian, stand up magician, and vitriloquist Variety or it's a trifecta. Or yeah kind of. There's <laughs> a great joke that I won't say here because it'll be bleeped, but <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so you could tr- figure trifecta and you could figure out the rest. Um, but anyway, there's this this, this, uh, this thing going across the country now where we where people believe that their opinion is so important, they can stand up and stop everyone and make a pose, you know for for something. I hadn't experienced it really till then, but being a comic, for years, there's always somebody that in an audience that may not like something and may come over to you at the end of the show and say, hey, you know, I don't appreciate that joke with, that has a reference to rape in it, or I don't appreciate the ethnic joke, or I don't appreciate perhaps, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, whatever the case may be, whatever they're sensitive to, really. And I get it. And when people come over, I'd say, you know, I really appreciate you bringing up your point. I like, I like to understand how people feel. I'm, I'm here... Create humor and I am your feelings are important to me, so I, I, I listen. On the other hand, you know, when you get up and start throwing things at people and making a tantrum and behaving poorly, then uh, now you've crossed the line, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's interesting too because that's what I started to do. I, I started, I created a show that we taped at a theater a year or two ago that we we're trying to get on uh, cable, and it's called Crossing the Line because. We want to cross the line in the humor. We want to go over the edge of what people find allowable and let people know it's okay to come here and be over the line.
4: I mean, that's what comedians do. Comedians push the boundaries and it doesn't matter what their viewpoints are, political or otherwise, they push the boundaries of society. And when we laugh at those things, it allows us to be more human. It allows us to have differences and opinions, but then be able to laugh at ourselves, laugh at each other. I mean, that is I think that is fundamentally human. And when you have people throwing slices, <laughs> slices of fruit at you, I mean, did did she hit you with the fruit? Was she a good shot?
2: Uh, hit the dummy, but they, she was far away. And then they had to go over to the, um, you know. You know, I have another story like that that's happened recently, too. And it, it's another bizarre one. I mean, if you want to hear it, I mean, it's almost the same but worse. You know, well,
4: let, me, let me let me guess did you have a George Bush puppet, a George Bush <laughs> doll, and some, somebody <laughs> threw the shoe at you?
2: Very funny. Very funny. I'm going to give you one of these. <laughs> a George Bush puppet. So, uh, no, no. I, w- I, I have a, uh, I have, first of all, I have many, many different dummies. And by the way, dummies, the dummies are characters and the characters are either something that's stereotypical. You will understand immediately when it comes out. Or it's something that, and I guess I don't want to get too deep into this, but we got time, right? So it no, we matter, got
4: plenty right? we of could, time. Yeah. Plenty of time. Plenty
2: of time. Plenty of time. I'll make not more Jordan time. Maxwell. What's not, that? Not Jordan.
4: No, Jordan Maxwell passed on. Did you like Jordan, by the way? Did you listen Rock to his Jordan stuff? I've,
2: I've actually made notes about things he said. I mean, there's many things. I've, I've watched videos of him over and over again, and he had a really great way of explaining uh, esoteric uh, wording and, and symbolism. And yeah, I loved. I really liked Jordan a lot. Even though we didn't have a good experience, we tried to get him to come on the show with us and uh, – I'll
4: tell you a a funny story about Jordan in a second if you want to tell your story and then I'll tell you something a little funny
2: yeah no tell me about Jordan now if you want I'll tell you the uh, cancel culture short but we have plenty of time
4: okay well well, just for those of you who don't know I mean if you ever listen to a show we did we have nine shows we did with Jordan over the years and I've put them all in a free archive at thesecretteachings.info click on free archive and you'll see Jordan Maxwell click that and you can download and listen to the shows but, um, you know, Jordan would get on the show and he would he would always say the same thing. He would be talking about how people don't care. People don't pay attention to things. He's like, all you're concerned about is your beer and your sports and your, you know, your celebrities and you don't give a damn about anything. And then you go to court and, you know, it's a it's like a it's a racket like tennis and they've got you by the balls in court. He'd go, right. right. <laughs> he'd go on this <laughs> this rant. And there'd be sometimes times like Jordan was just he was a wonderful guy. I hung out with him, uh, I think, one or two times in here in Arizona, actually, a couple years ago. And uh, he he would he would just he had no shame in anything. He was just so done with things like I'd get him on video. I can, I can say this now I'd get him on video and Jordan would just literally be sitting there in his underwear and he'd be like, all right, we're going to do this. <laughs> Be like, yeah we're going to do this he's like, what, what do you want to talk about He's like oh we could talk about religion, communism Whatever you want to do And it just, I'm sitting there he, he he knows he has the video on He's just sitting there in his underwear and he's ready to go And he starts talking about religion or Jesus <laughs>
2: <laughs> You know who's like that too Who was like that Rodney Dangerfield
4: I've heard that before Yeah
2: yeah. I used to work at Dangerfield in New York City On First Avenue and 61st Street And uh, do, do these shows late at night And you know when I first started going there, um, there was these buses that would pull up in the late eighties, and they would pull up, and uh, all these Asian people would come off the bus with their cameras and stuff, and go, "Oh, Rodney Dangerfield!" You know, they were all like excited. You'd have these tours, and I don't know, people from Asia were coming to New York, and they want to, and they knew he was famous, and they every time they went there, they think Rodney would be there, and of course he wasn't. It was his club, so he would come in. Oh, where Rodney? Where Rodney? No, he's not here today. And one night I'm there, and uh, Rodney before he goes up on stage and does the stuff he would always uh where be downstairs and well I should, I will to tell the truth he was downstairs drinking and doing coke but he was always in his robe he was naked in his robe he would be hanging out downstairs you know getting all screwed up and and uh you know he he watched my act and, and he came over and he goes kid let me tell you kid you, you need more conflict with you and the dummy, you need more conflict you can't just do the material. You got to have conflict. That's what makes it strong. <laughs> was I'm he like, do- okay? Was he
4: like, was he saying that in the bathrobe or was he dressed by now?
2: In the bathrobe, he's got he's got his testicles hanging out. He's like he could care less. He was one of these guys that just wanted to be comfortable. Yeah. And then just before he went on, he threw on the, the white shirt and the red tie and the thing went up, did the act, came back off, had a couple of drinks, and you know grabbed you by the balls and laughed and smacked you the back of the head. He was just like a character, like a real. And I belonged to the Fries Club in New York City, which now has become like an ancient. Kind of tribal thing of the past, I would imagine on some level, and and I found the same thing there with these old time comics, which I'm becoming one now. But I, the guys I would, I, you know, these Freddie Romans and all, they, these guys had no filter and would do anything for a laugh and not care, and I I kind of love it. It's like being a grown up ten year old. It's there's a beauty about life when you can just the hell with it all, kind of. Well, feeling, and you know, and that, is, I guess that's what you're saying about Jordan.
4: Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm by no means a comedian here and by no means a professional comedian, but I can tell you from my experience looking into that world and covering certain things here on this show, the, the idea that we should never, ever, ever tell a joke or make a statement because it's the same thing in radio. You can't even make a, a statement, let alone a joke, because it might not be funny to one person or one group of people. You assume that you speak for those people. If we start setting that precedent, John, we end up having nothing that's funny. We can't speak our mind. There's no opinion. There's no First Amendment, and that, which is what comedians, I think, I would assume, thrive on, uh, free speech. And then we end up in a really dark, cold, gray world where everybody has to be careful of what they're thinking, what they're going to say. There's no jokes. There's no humor. There's no life.
2: Well, when you say that, I kind of feel like our foot is heavily in the water already, not the toe. We're up to our ankles and knees, I, I think. I, I think it's already happened. And I mean, if you look at mainstream media and the way it all works, it's uh, clearly, it, it's definitely this. This uh, the world that we live in right now is is the, it's a piece of the dystopian future that we're in. I see it happening. I mean, when you start banning people for their thinking and thoughts and not allowing people to see information, yeah, we're already there well, on well, some level.
4: Well, did you hear about this Rachel Levine story? The the so-called four-star yep. I, so called four star admiral. So so the USA Today names. It's the woman of the year, woman of the year. But then the Babylon Bee, which Rachel Levine is a man who became a woman and uh, U.S. Uh, Assistant Secretary of Health. But then Twitter banned the Babylon Bee. The Babylon Bee does the satire. Banned the Babylon Bee's Twitter account for naming Rachel Levine, who's a man, the man of the year. So it's, it's very confusing.
2: <laughs> it's insanity, is what it is. It's insanity. So it. So apparently. The things that's really bothering the, being able to be free in America right now, there must be, when it comes to our amendment, must be, and free speech. It has to be then the alligard tech company, these big tech. I mean, if it's Twitter, Facebook, all those sort of things are actually have more control than people, then we need to back off of that and either make them, we have to cancel them in order to gain a new paradigm.
4: We have to stop. Or I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: We have to stop using. Yeah, we all we have to stop using. You know, which is basically canceling. We said, well, we're going to quit jumping out of, of what you want to. You know, if you want to take Twitter and turn it into something like MySpace, you have to have people dump out and dump into something new. It it, it could happen.
4: There are some companies that are trying to do this. Uh, a lot of it's more conservative, right leaning, which you know to yeah. me doesn't matter so long as there's an open platform where anybody can share anything. So long as it's not like pornography and, you know, wanting to kill people that, that there's a limit to that in the social space. But, you know, there, there is a movement certainly to do that. Um, there's also, I think a lot of people are, are, are not even accessing these social media sites. Like I know, I know a lot of our listeners don't Mm -hmm. like us on Facebook because they don't have a Facebook and they email me. I've got guys that write me letters because they don't trust cell phones and they don't trust social media. So there are still people that That want to live. Maybe that's extreme for some people, but there are still people that want to live in that kind of a world. And I hope we don't overcorrect in the opposite direction, but there's a way we need to, I think, bring balance to this.
2: Balance, right. What is balance? Balance is what's balanced to you is different balance to someone else. That's that's the whole problem. But the problem is also I think there's a small percentage of people controlling a larger majority of people that are more quiet silent and not really asserting
4: themselves you're right john i think i think that problem is that we rely too heavily on authority and we don't think for ourselves because we've been taught to think that thinking for ourselves is wrong so we should listen to what authorities say but particularly i think in my opinion get your take on this i think what this issue is is we have we have individuals we have people that don't feel as if they have you know, a a right to be human because everything they do is criticized and critiqued. And we always have to be on the lookout for saying the wrong thing. So when that happens, we're looking to other people to tell us what's the right thing to say. It makes us very much like a surf class. We have the Lords that Lord over us. We do the work for them and we're always on the defensive. And when we're always on the defensive, obviously we can't do anything except defend ourselves and back into a corner and say i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry we need to stop saying i'm sorry and just joke about it and move on in my opinion
2: i agree with you and you're absolutely right and if you look at comics of the past like i remember watching uh she was a wonderful comic uh joan rivers i remember joan rivers somebody being offended in her already i saw a couple of clips on youtube about it and she stood up and just
0: blasted this
2: woman
4: i think I, see, I think i've seen that
2: Oh, it was awesome. It's so great. It was just why. In other words, she was totally unapologetic for humor. Well, that's. And, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, but well, that's the point of this crossing the line. You see, where does the line lie is the question in the sand. Where do we draw the line between acceptable and unacceptable?
4: Let's look at the that. The
2: bottom man. line is that, uh, unacceptable should be you don't like it. You leave.
4: That's it. That's, a, <laughs> that's a, a, it. A, 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 exactly. That's it. Yeah.
2: Next. But the the 99 people enjoy. I mean, you don't you think that's wrong. You you walk away. That's you what say, I want my money back. I don't agree with this.
4: That's what I've told people in this show before. If you don't like it. Don't listen to it. And um, I mean, that's I didn't necessarily like Donald Trump. But when they asked him, hey, did you call Rosie O'Donnell a fat pig? He was like, uh, yeah, I probably said that. I thought that was honest. I was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know, all right. Listen, more, more with John Peasy when we come back from break. This is The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. Stay with us. It's the Secret Teachings Radio, one of the homes of the original Super Bowl analysis, exclusively airing on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
1: Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with your
4: host, Ryan Gable. Do you have everything you need to explore The Secret Teachings?
1: I've got my secret socks on and my secret TV and my secret TV channel.
4: Looks like SpongeBob's ready. Are you?
3: Hey, this is Charlie Robinson, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings
4: with Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. The music tonight, White Bat Audio. And our guest is our friend John Peasy. JohnPeasy.com. Comedian, ventriloquist, magician, all-around funny guy. John, you were telling us about the the dummies in the last segment, and we started talking about some, some more serious issues, but they definitely, certainly relate to comedy. Uh, I don't know if you want to tell the story of the dummy. Uh, I don't know if you want to tell the story of... Uh, some of these experiences you've had with maybe being canceled, but floor's yours.
2: I'd be more than happy to tell you that story. This is, I was going to bring this up a little earlier because it's just one of these, there's always things in your mind, things that happen in your life that you just walk away from like, oh my God, really? Get out of here. No way. And uh, so I was working a, a one nighter in Long Island just in October for a comedy night. And a lot of the people that came out for this, it's like an like Italian restaurant or something, you know, and. There's like 100 people and uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, after the pandemic and shutdowns and this and that, a lot of people just started kind of coming out and they want to laugh. And I noticed a lot of people in the audience, hey, come over, say hello to me. Hey, you know, people that own catering halls, Italian restaurants, uh, wannabe, wise guys, all kinds of like eclectic audience of people, you know, really. look, And they know what I do. So they came out to see the show and and the woman who booked me had like five comedians that night for some strange reason. The new, the new paradigm is a comic, a show with several comedians is more popular than two good ones. So, so they, they, I think these four or five comics go up and do their spots. And then I get up to close the show and I have a, uh, one particular dummy. His name is Smokey. And Smokey is an African-American puppet. That's a pimp. And he doesn't like white people. And it, it's it's kind of like a pompous character. It's not necessarily derogatory. It's almost like when you used to watch the old Colonel Clink in uh, that series back in the seventies, that where the Germans were really you know stupid. They weren't really smart in that in that series. And this is kind of like what Smokey is. He's kind of like a a pompous person. You know, he he comes out and talks about white people, and it's not really derogatory. It's just silly, you know. But he's a black. African American African-American character, and he says things you know that could spike, I guess, people. So everyone is there, are, are familiar with it on some level. And he comes out and does his jokes. And a woman from the back of the room, a petite blonde, five foot girl, comes walking from the back of the room and just was
4: her name Karen. Right up was her name Karen. I, yeah,
2: <laughs> I, I would imagine. Well, I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> at the time, she was just a cute blonde, you know. And she comes up and sits, stands, and looks at me, and then goes on her knees. In front of the stage, and I'm standing there with the dummy with my hand in his back and talking and making jokes of people. Everything's really cool and it's all going really well. And he's like, "What do you want, lady?" And she doesn't say nothing. She goes on her knees, and he goes, "Okay, that's the way I like you on the knees, yeah, baby." <laughs> you know, jokes like that, and, and uh, not like a blonde on her knees. And, and so all these, and then she stands up and stops and says, "I just don't get it." And I stop like calling, and she says, "I don't get it. I don't. You, you have this." african-american character and he's telling all this these jokes and these people laughing I, I i just don't get it and i'm like okay and now i'm thinking i'm being punked I actually who i was being punked by something i thought like okay one of the, my comic friends said here here's 20 bucks go do this I, jobs.
4: I thought she might have thought the puppet you know Smokey. i thought she might have thought he were the dummy i thought maybe she was thinking this was george floyd and she was taking a knee
2: <laughs> you know, I didn't even go I didn't even think of that. <laughs> no. I don't do any of those can't breathe jokes, but <laughs> I didn't that, that's like that's way too sensitive for me. I do have a limit. I crossed the line, but I don't I don't bury people. I don't I hope not anyway. My intentions is always pure actually. You're, I really you're do a professional. i I don't know if you call it that. I, I have my I don't know if it's professional. I, I really feel that it comes from a a place of goodness. I really want to come from a place of good, not, not evil. Well,
4: okay. So, so what, so what did this, this blonde lady do? What did the Karen do?
2: So she says that, and then I'm like, uh, okay. I said, thanks so much for your opinion. And then she goes on more about that. And, and I, and I'm, I'm like, okay. And then at one point I just take the mic. I'm like, kind of like stymied, like what's happening. I'm not really clear. And she, I take the mic off the stand. I said, folks, this woman apparently doesn't understand what's happening here tonight. <laughs> and I said, would you like to hear her or would you like them to hear me? I'll put the mic towards her. And I give it to her. And they all start booing the girl like, yeah, yeah, sit down, uh, uh, like that. And she starts to get angry and starts saying, well, I don't think this is right. And there's three women behind her. These are like New York women, very Italian-American, tough as four or three or four of them. And they're like in their 40s. They're having, you know, cocktails. And they pull it a dress and go, get the hell out of the way. And and she's like, I ain't going to move now. And then they go and they start, they start swinging. Like, they, like, you know, things start happening. They're like, swinging. Really quickly. Yeah, like she, they're pulling the girl out of the way and she's pushing, pull it away. And and then the three of them stand up and throw their drink down and they're like ready to like have a brawl. Like, these are like, this is like Snooki on vacation drinking. You know? <laughs> uh, and so anyway, some guy in the back with a boyfriend comes and takes her and walks her to the back and sits her down and and I then continue with the rest of my show. And now I'm, and everyone's videotaping me. They all got their phones up, you know. And and now I'm I'm editing in my head as I'm doing the rest of my dummies. They're not all just black dummies. I have an old man. I have a boy. I have all these characters. And an o- and an I'm old doing
4: them, two, an old white man.
2: He's an old white guy. Yeah. yeah. And he and he complains about his wife. You know. And and marriage and sex, of course. What else would you complain? About? So this happens, and I'm editing into the rest of my show. And then when it's over, I'm I'm at the point where it's like uh, I I don't think the show was as good as it could have been because I kind of like was pampering everything, and it, I guess it threw me a little bit, you know. Which I'm usually not that way. <clears throat> yeah, you, you weren't
4: prepared for the malice at the palace, you know. You weren't prepared <laughs> <No>. for the, <laughs> this, this brawl.
2: <laughs> No, and I, I I didn't know what it was all about. And so it took me kind of like side, you know, hit me on the side of the car kind of feeling. So uh-huh. the next day, I'm getting calls from lots of comedians saying, hey, I heard what happened last night and heard what happened last night. Other people call me saying, hey, what happened last night? Because all the comics, they talk and they think it's hilarious. They thought I handled it well, but they thought it was hilarious. Of course, we all we laugh at each other. And uh, one comic calls me and says, he just said what happened. I explained to him and he says to me, oh, you were canceled. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, that's cancel culture. I said, no, no. I said, maybe the girl's on drugs. Maybe she's whack. Maybe... He goes, no, 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 You ever see when these cars stop at an intersection and then a bunch of people on bicycles like stand there in front of them and don't let them go? And then people get angry and they get out of the car and threaten them and they videotape you. Yes. Full of rage. He goes, that's cancel culture happening physically in the world. He says, you are canceled. And I said, really? So I hadn't even known until like days later that, that may have been what the case was because I was oblivious to it.
4: Well, when he, when he, that's when, when he told you that we actually have audio of your response,
2: come on, man,
4: you're like, come on, man, like, it's canceled.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a, yeah, So that was my first experience of, I believe what was canceled culture. And, and, uh, and I, it made me think about a lot how to respond in the future. Like what to really sort of make me think about how do, how do we handle this and where are we going and what's really going on here? What's really happening. And again, you have 100 people in a room. You have one person trying to create a disturbance amongst 99, which is really not right on any level.
4: Well, th- think, I think about it from the other point of view. Like, what if you had a, a, an African-American or black audience member when you were doing, uh, you know, your old white man puppet, Uncle Smiley, and uh, they came up and took a knee and were like, I, I, I don't get it. And then a brawl started. Like, would, would that make as much sense or would it make just as as, as less sense? Like, I don't know. It just from thinking about that other perspective. I think of things like that.
2: You know, it's it's interesting, too. You see from the other side, and I, and I actually appreciate that thinking because that's what comics do. They always take a different perspective. That's what humor is, is perspective. And honestly, uh, tell you the truth, I, I mean, when it comes to even African-American crowds, Latino crowds, and that sort of thing, I work Latino clubs where I'm the only white guy or black clubs where I'm the only white guy in the club. And they are the greatest crowds ever. They they are great. People I'm want to laugh. That. But they laugh without the, then nope, no one's upset. Everyone's cool. It's it's great. Now and the fact that I'm the only white guy in the club, I take I come out and I, I say things automatically that, you know, show that I'm aware of it and they're <laughs> aware of it and it breaks the ice and it becomes just a really beautiful thing. And at the end, I'm, I'm these guys, people come over, hugging me, thanking me for coming. I mean, it's it's um, we all need to connect on the level where we on the inside level where we really exist. And the problem is, is all this stuff is is the outside chatter. It's like deep down in the sea, it's quiet and we will connect on that level. But the outside level where there's birds and rocks and wind is where everyone's making the noise. And it's not representative of what's really inside.
4: No, you're absolutely right. Uh, John Peasy is our guest this evening. John, let listeners know what your websites are so they can check them out while they're listening tonight.
2: It's uh, johnpizzi.com, J-O-H-N-P-I-Z-Z-I.com, and I have bestmagiciannj.com, and I also have crossingtheline.tv. I have like 30 different websites (laughs) because we do different things. The thing is, how do you brand yourself when one minute you can be doing a roast (laughs) for the Friars Club, X-rated, and the next minute you're doing a family event? Well, this is it's hard to brand yourself.
4: You, you, you know? Okay, I would imagine it's exactly the same thing. Then you know, in comedy, I, w- I was thinking that because in radio, that's how it is. Like, I don't know how to brand myself on this show. One night, I'm 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 trashing Republicans and Democrats. The next night, I'm talking about UFOs. The next night, I'm talking about esotericism. The next night, I'm interviewing a doctor or a scientist or a comedian. You know, I'm I'm all over the place because I love to learn about everything, and I try to put it together in this like grand unified you know, theory or this grand secret teachings, you know, idea of all ages. I want to know about everything. You know, I want to put it all together. So it's kind of hard to brand that too in radio.
2: I, I I'm totally with you. And I'm very passionate about it as well. And I, and that's why I think we're somehow, uh, with spirits together here, because I've listened to your shows and and it is, it's very eclectic. And I love that. And I'm an infomaniac. I need lots of information. I'm always trying to connect everything, how it all works. And there's never enough information to connect it all. There's only like pieces, and then as soon as you believe something, sometimes you think, Ah, I got it, and all of a sudden, somebody gives you something new, and you're like, Oh, I didn't have it. I thought I did. I'm an idiot. You know, <laughs> it's like you can't figure <laughs> who can figure this all out. It's 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 life. You know, life is a, a strange thing. Well, that's why you, you got to laugh
4: at you got to laugh at yourself. I mean, I laugh at myself all the time. I pronounce words wrong. I just admit it, acknowledge it. Like I have no how to no idea how to pronounce this person's name when I'm reading an article, and yeah. you know, just go go with it. It's fun. And kind of roast myself. You know, it's
2: funny. It's funny you mention that too, because I didn't. I didn't pay attention in school, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not, I don't have a command of the English language. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, you know, school was was not for me. I was never. I never understood. I never understood why people even went to school, like how it all worked. I never be- agreed with any of it. Even as a kid, I questioned everything. I went to Catholic school for eight years. Ooh, and uh, you go there, and they would beat you up. And then tell you that you have to love Jesus. Tells you, you got to love everybody while they <laughs> slapping you in the back of the head. It was, there was no such rhyme or reason to any of it.
4: That's you know? trauma based mind control, man.
2: It, it certainly was. Yeah, definitely was. And uh, and yet now I do tremendous amount of uh, entertaining in Orthodox communities, which now I get to see another side of uh, how people behave. In fact, I, see, I just love. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what it's all about. I just like to get my eyeballs behind their head for weeks at a time and understand where they're they're seeing things from. I'd love to have empathy for everything. And it's hard to, because you you don't have enough time in your life to experience. I'd like to live in different people's minds for like a week at a time to understand them. Even the Karen, I'd love to live in her head. Explain to me what's going on. I want to, I want to have empathy for what you mean and see where you're, disconnected or where i'm disconnected
4: maybe some self-loathing i don't know but you know what i i saw um i saw bill burr at the egyptian theater in boise idaho and i lived there i saw lewis black i saw a couple comedians but I, I always liked bill burr i went there to the the theater and i saw bill burr and i was in the front row and uh, a friend a friend of mine was with me that night and she she wore a nice dress and i just had like sandals and cargo shorts on and bill burr comes out and he looks at me and he starts like railing on me he's like jesus effing christ he's like you can't even wear something nice to the theater look at these these gd shorts and these <laughs> sandals I, I i loved it you know some people that they, they, they can't handle that i don't know if that's a self-introspection problem but i loved it i was like hell bill burr roasted me for like three minutes it was worth the ticket
2: i totally agree with you and i would do the same if you were in front of me because <laughs> because you know why you're confident with yourself right yes yes and this is a good this is a really good point about humor which I don't know why would di- I don't like to die dissect the Matter of fact, dissect, matter of fact, there's a great line about dissecting. It said, when somebody doesn't understand a joke and they try to explain it to them, it's like dissecting a frog. Once you open it all up and figure out how it works, it's dead.
4: Yeah, it is. It's like running and- a magic trick.
2: Yeah, kind of. It's over. But th- that's an interesting point about the, put- yeah, the thing that people come over to me and are upset about are the thing that they're sensitive about. I don't own their sensitivity. They do. So I'm sorry they feel that way. It's not something I own, you know what I'm saying? So if if somebody says to me, "Hey, I didn't like that masturbation joke that you did," well, that's that's because you have a problem with that. I don't. And the fact that somebody's making fun of your slippers and shoes, and you're not offended by it, means <laughs> you're confident with it. Now, if I said something to you that that sparked you, that hurt you, that means that you have a sensitivity to it that's internal, that's been there a long time.
4: So if people don't know this, then comedy's is kind of like psychology then, right? It's all about psychology and understanding how how things like that work. Sounds like it a little bit.
2: There is a psychology too. As a matter of fact, every time I walk into a room, I kind of know what I'm supposed to do when I get there. You look at the audience and you say, ah, there you go. Well, I have the, people come over to me and say, hey, I need you to be really filthy. Make sure you rip the <laughs> hell out of that guy. Do this, do that. And I walk in, I see like a bunch of priests, you know, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, so I tell people, yeah, 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 yeah. And I do what's going to work. I don't, I'm not going to do what they're telling me. people that they're paying you, they want you to do what they're
4: telling Priests turned into some pretty dirty stuff from what I've read.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've written so many great ones like that, too. Jokes like, uh, oh my goodness, I don't even I should do them here. One, you know, I was doing this holiday joke, which people really were groaning about. It was like, I used to, open my, the holiday shows, I was opening about the club stuff with saying, um, I remember when I was a little kid, Christmas Eve, when, when uh, Santa used to come and." And the feeling I got when he got dressed and left. You didn't grab it, did you?
4: No, I did I I, I didn't grab it. I did not get it.
2: I said I used to when I was see again. Oh wait, when no, no, when no, I was a no. little kid, it, I remember
4: it just, Christmas. It, it just clicked. <laughs> it just
2: got you. You're like, Don't do it again, please.
4: It took, it took a second. Yeah, it took a second. <laughs>
2: maybe, maybe the timing is poor bad on. Me. But I do like dark even with Dark was a lot of fun. I had a kid once say to me, You're a magician. He says I wish I could be like Batman. I said, All right, your wish is granted. It's good both your parents are dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that's really dark and a kid was around crying.
4: I mean, just 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 stup- stupid stuff. It's silly jokes. Like uh, one time I was like, Hey, what I, I just thought of this in my head for some reason and someone was like, you know, t- t- tell me something funny. I said, I don't know, what sound does an Asian cash register make? And they said, Oh no, I said ka ching chong and they That's
2: right. That's, that's a clever, you know, wordplay. Yeah, I like they, it.
4: They were highly offended by it, you know? No.
2: Oh come on! is is great. What's what's worse than aunts in your pants? I don't know. Uncles. Uncles in your pants. <laughs> and what's
4: what what's worse than uncles in your pants?
2: What's worse? I have no idea. Joe Biden. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> here's great. How do you get a fat girl in bed?
4: I think that's a piece of cake.
2: Piece of cake. <laughs> it's a classic joke and it's one of my favorite it, 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 it's you know jokes are really great when it's really tight like that it's it's one sentence and a punch one sentence and a punch you know i um speaking of jokes i so I, the, you know being a comic you get so tainted by jokes that they have to be harder and harder and worse and worse in order to laugh you know so i started doing this joke on stage occasionally at clubs and i started thinking about it like it's really nasty but at the same time, I like it because it starts really dirty and goes clean. You don't see many of those.
4: Yeah, jokes. you don't see that. Usually
2: it, it's always the other way around. So when you have it reversed, to me, I think it's hilarious. I don't know if people think it's hilarious, but I think it's hilarious. Uh, the joke was uh, you, so there's couple's on a date, first time, young couple, they're like, having dinner. And he says, uh, she says, hey, tell me your your guilty pleasure. And he goes, yeah, you know, I don't want to talk about it. And she goes, come on, tell me your guilty pleasure. He goes, I don't want to talk about it. She goes, come on, we're on a first date. Tell me your guilty pleasure. He goes, all right. When I'm in bed masturbating, sometimes I like to take a finger or two and put them in the back end. She goes, oh. He goes, what's your guilty pleasure? She goes, uh, I don't know. I like Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> it's sick, but funny. Well, that's
4: the, that's the thing about comedy too. I'm I'm guessing, I'm assuming, because I you know I don't do comedy, but I think comedy is also just the unexpected, right?
2: Absolutely. It's perspective and not seeing the connections between the two points. When we it's c- point A and point B, but getting there, you shouldn't be able to see B.
4: When we get into the second hour tonight, the third and fourth segment, I want to talk about how comedy is done, like how you prepare comedy, because um, I don't know if it's similar to how I prepare radio, but I'd like to talk to you about that. I also wanted to go back to the beginning of the show tonight, the first segment, and you were telling us a little bit about this Joe Biden, Donald Trump, these two puppets. Yeah, these two dummies. Is is it okay if you call them a puppet or is that offensive? Is it dummy?
2: I, I love the word dummy. Uh, ventriloquists always think they call it ventriloquial figures, but I'm not offended by calling it dummy. I think it's a dummy. It's funny.
4: That sounds like a George Carlin, like the soft language, right? It's We don't go see a doctor. We go see a health maintenance professional.
2: <laughs> yeah, the ventriloquial figure is that. Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. figure, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> Tell, tell us a little bit about, about, about these puppets. Like, what happens uh, with the Joe Biden and the Donald Trump puppet? You told us about the Clinton one. You got some fruit thrown at you. I'm, I'm curious, what does what the Joe Biden and Donald Trump puppets do? What, what do these things do?
0: Well,
2: interestingly enough, I got, the, I got the Donald Trump puppet during Donald Trump's presidency. And, you know, it takes, first of all, it takes a long time to make these puppets. There's two kinds of puppets. There's soft puppets. They're like the muppety kind of puppets, I, mm-hmm. I guess. And then there's wooden dummies, which I prefer the wooden dummies, even though I have nothing against soft puppets. But uh, the, sort of they the make them, they're usually hand carved out of wood and takes a long time to carve and paint and put together. And the mechanics in them are um, like levers. It used to be a string with a lever. And now the new ones are like, uh, like the old old antennas on a car in 1970s to have an antenna on the front car that pulled up mm-hmm. the metal. that is metal and metal pulling up to the top. Well, that's what's inside there now with levers attached to it that allow it to move and spin around in the head. So it's all welded brass levers, pretty much. My, the dummies I have now are like the Mercedes Benz of puppets. They really, they're beautiful, and they're, they're pieces of art, really. They're, they're works of art. They cost between ten and $15,000 each to make. And, you know, so if you go out and do a show with four puppets, you're bringing in $50,000 worth of equipment, in, believe it or not. And you can't get them, like, tomorrow. It takes a couple of years. I mean, you, to get just,
4: you just put a price tag on it, and now you are going to have people waiting outside comedy clubs for ventriloquists. They're going to start <laughs> knocking them off.
2: Right there, you go. Uh, they're insured too, but you can't get them quickly. That's the problem. So when I had the Trump dummies made, I had a friend of mine in and uh, Vegas do it, and he had made Trump and Hillary. And it took a while, and I was ahead of myself because I thought I figured I didn't know who was going to win, so I figured let me get Trump and Hillary. Is what I did, but the point is Trump. Was uh, when I took him out, I would say things that Trump would say, and it got huge laughs because Trump is an exaggerated character himself. He's an, his character is hugely over the top. I'm, I'm the best. Says, the,
4: the best dummy, the best puppet.
2: Right, exactly. I was going, "Hey, eh, it's a disaster! It's a disaster!" I tell you. So, Trump when he came out, people kind of liked it. I got a lot of fun with it. People had they were cool with it. It was it went really well. To this day, it's fine. Uh, when I came out with Biden, I had gotten Biden, uh, like six months ago, I was working an orthodox group of men that I, I took him out and they, I could not say a word with them. They all disliked him so poorly that they wouldn't let me speak. I took like, two minutes and put them away.
4: Like they were upset that you were mimicking or mocking him or they just didn't no, like No, They it. were
2: so angry at him. Oh, at angry taking at him, him. The puppet there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. There was so much anger, I guess, in this group of men because they all own businesses, and they, I guess, they feel that yeah. he's not help helping their businesses uh, in any way, and they they're angry.
4: Well, the best way you and, could have you you could have ended that really great. You could have quoted that one uh, Joe Biden uh, bit where he was talking about the Constitution, and he said, "Um, you know, the we the people, and um, um yeah, you know the rest." You could have just put him away on that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, that's what I'm saying. You, you only want to put what they say. And what they say is funny. You don't have to really write joke jokes about it. It's really simple to do. But people are upset uh, about him. So uh, now when I take him out, I have to like find the right place to take him out. And if somebody's really proactive on Joe Biden, um, they don't like you making fun of him. They think you're making fun of him because he's a dummy. And if they hate him, um, then you have to be able to play it so you do things that make him look derogatory
4: has he, has he ever sniffed an audience member
2: absolutely <laughs> yeah, absolutely I make him fall asleep I make him sniff people coming over to them he talks about the kids and the, you know the hair on the legs and
4: the, oh yeah the corn pop
2: corn pop He would tell the corn pop story yeah <laughs> yeah of course, of course it's hilarious it's so silly it's all silly it's all make-believe fun in my opinion yeah I mean, everything's open to humor
4: I, I had a shirt on one time that said Hillary Clinton for prison i think that was the, the clinton shirt hillary clinton for prison and this one lady walks up to me in boise and she says oh my god she said you know george bush did bad things too and i said yeah he should be in prison too and then she froze and she had no idea how to respond to it. I serious true story no jokes like she did not know how to respond to it i was like yeah i don't I'm like george bush either you know and that's yeah, yeah that's that's how people are today got the joe biden for nursing home shirt and this woman panics and she's like i'd rather have war and pay five dollars a gas five dollars a gallon for gas and have Trump in the White House. I'm like, really?
2: That's That's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. It's
4: insane. That's
2: crazy. Well, and you know, it's funny. It's because really all it is is deflection, because when people say things like that, they're just deflecting from the facts. I mean, you want to know what the facts are. I really don't care about opinions. I want to know what's the truth. And truth is hard. to You know, truth takes a long time to come out. I noticed that. You know, lies come out very quickly, and people and and the propaganda of lies has grown very fast, like like a fire. But truth takes a long time. Yeah, lies lie
4: spread much faster. Out.
2: Yeah. You should get you know, a coming, uh, I, coming out.
4: You should get a a Hunter Biden smoke cracking dummy.
2: That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, again, <laughs> it's like who are you going to play it to? One <laughs> half. Right. One half of the audience, and uh, you know, it's like yeah. Now you have to sit here and make a choice as to what, how. How what you can do where? How many puppets do I bring to a gig? And then you decide which. Uh, literally now, when I go do a gig, I actually have six puppets in the car. I walk in, and as I bring my sound, and I'm like, oh, I need this, I need that. You know, certain places are off limits, and other places limited, and you have to give them. I always said comedy's like a menu and a diner. When you go in, and you say I like the fish, they give you what you want. They don't tell you, hey, don't eat the fish; it's bad. You give you what you want. So I give comedy. I give people what they want rather than make up what I think they should have. Once you get that attitude, then you're not serving anymore.
4: Yeah. When we come back, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about how comedy is done, like how you, how you set up comedy. Like I'm interested to know how you prepare for these kinds of things. I mean, I people ask me all the time how I prepare for a radio show. I, I kind of want to know how you do uh, you know, a, a, a bit or how you do uh, the, the writing of the jokes and, and all that. I want to learn about that when we come back from break. John Peasy is our guest this evening. John, what is the website again?
2: Oh, johnpeasy.com, P-I-Z-Z-I.
4: Johnpeasy.com. It's linked up on our social media page on Facebook. It's linked up on our website, thesecretteachings.info. That's thesecretteachings.info. If you go there today, you can become a member of our archive. It's advertisement-free. You get access to the private RSS feed for your radio or podcast player. You can download all the shows from the embedded player or just stream them. You get the montages we make and all of my digital books, www.thesecretteachings.info, R D g-a-b-l-e-r-d gable at yahoo.com is the email and again john peasy our guest john peasy.com more from john when we come back from break stay with us you don't want to miss it we're going to get into some esoterica perhaps in the next hour as well right here on the secret teachings The Secret Teachings Radio, one of the homes of the original Super Bowl analysis, exclusively airing on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
1: Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with your host, Ryan Gable. Do you have everything you need to explore The Secret Teachings? I've got my secret socks on and my secret TV and my secret TV channel.
4: Looks like SpongeBob's ready. Are you? Hey, this is Charlie Robinson, and you are listening to
3: The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
4: Welcome back to the Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you for tuning in wherever and whenever you are listening around the world. Tonight, John PZ is our guest. johnpzy.com, P-I-Z-Z-I.com. If you'd like to contact the show, let us know what you think of the broadcast so far tonight or any other episode of the show. rdgable at yahoo.com rdgable at yahoo.com You can... Get onto the website to find my books, to find our full show archive, and more. We also have a little section there I've created for the Jordan Maxwell Memorial, the nine episodes of The Secret Teachings we did with him. Click on the free archive at the top of the page, you'll find it. Tomorrow is a memorial show, March 25th, 2022. Tonight is the 24th into the 25th, 2022. And I don't promote this enough, but we do have t shirts, the new Tree of Life t shirt. Find that at T Public. And if you'd like to send us something, a letter, if you'd like to send us uh, a little gift, whatever, people ask me for the address all the time. I've only given out my actual address. So I have a P.O. Box, P.O. Box 85723. That's 85723. P.O. Box 85723, Tucson, Arizona, T U C S O N, Tucson, Arizona. And then you can put in the additional numbers 85754. That's 85754-5723-5723. Or you can just go to the website and click on the contact page. You'll see all the email there. John Peasey is our guest this evening. John has been listening to The Secret Teachings for some time. So he's a fan of not just comedy, but also of the esoteric and the occult and a lot of the things that we discuss here on this show and others like us discuss on their shows and other places. And I wanted to ask you, John, about comedy, how you prepare for like, how do you prepare for a show? How do you write new jokes? Does stuff just come to you? Because people ask me this all the time in radio. I come up with new show topics every night, new angles, uh, plays on words for our promotional pictures I make every night. I got to put a lot of work into this, but I just let things come to me. It's not really as hard as it might look. Is is comedy hard? Do you have to really sit down and think about this? Or does it just come to you a lot of the time?
2: You know, I'd like to understand how you 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 say it just comes to you. I I, I find that amazing. I I, th- I would think it's a lot harder than. To, for, well, you know we're always on the outside looking in, so it makes it different. But yeah, in, in reference to comedy, um, is it hard? No, but it's work. It does take thinking and time and perspective. Uh, I mean, it's different. How do you prepare for the shows? Well, you, you actually, it's not as if you just walk in and do the same, can set everywhere you go. You actually have to change it according to the audience. So. One night I might be doing a roast for somebody's event, and maybe it's for a politician, and it's uh, at a big event with 500 people in black and white suits, you know, and you, and you have to write roast jokes that are going to be generic enough that no one's offended by, but it's still funny. Uh, and then other times, I uh, I've had people in showbiz like say, "Hey, I need you to write a roast for uh, you know a celebrity," and 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 it's uh, if you could say balls to the wall, where you just destroy the person like on a comedy central roast which uh, i love doing that kind of humor too i like that hit him in the back of the head type of humor and then and then there's just regular shows where you're just hired to come in maybe for a corporate and you have to be very clean and funny and interactive and hurt no one and then there's other things where you just go in and just do a show so somebody says hey i'm having a a 50th wedding anniversary can you come entertain you know in between dinner or something and and you and you give them a little edge but not over the top. So it, it, I'm sorry to give you such a long answer, but it, it's not necessarily one size fits all in humor, uh, especially if you want to work in all the markets.
4: I didn't think so. I, I would think that you have to really ad- adapt depending on who you're speaking to. Of course. I mean, I have the luxury of it's the same audience. We, we get new people that come on because of the diversity of the subjects, but you know, I can pretty much say whatever I want. I don't have to tune it to, to a certain audience every night. So I guess that's a luxury I have. Maybe it takes a little bit more uh, technique freedom. to do, do what you got to do. Yeah. I get a little more freedom in a sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's for freedom. And, and you, you speak a lot about a lot of esoteric stuff. So the last thing you'd want to do is come out and be an evil person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You start coming out, you know, doing nasty stuff, you know, there's that old joke too, that about, uh, what was it? The, uh, the Buddhist goes over to the, the hot dog vendor and says, uh, the hot dog vendor says, how can I make, uh, how can I make, you know, what can I make you? And he goes, make me one with everything. Have you ever hear that? That's a classic joke. <laughs>
4: yeah, I've heard that classic
2: one joke. Yeah. I would imagine you did in, the, in that thing. But, um, so, you know, I, I do different things and doing different things. I really enjoy the diversity of it all. I mean, I really enjoyed, like last night I did a family show at a resort and there's kids and there's adults and it's fun to do kitty humor. It's just, a, it's a pleasure to do silly toilet jokes and things. It's, it's fun. And then, and then the next day you may be doing something where it's just the opposite, and so it's never the same, and it keeps you on your toes. So you're able to constantly change gears rather than get caught into a rut.
4: I mean, it's also educational because uh, when I was looking at your bio and writing the little monologue for tonight for the uh, the show promo, I learned how to spell ventriloquist. So I learned something.
2: You know, so funny mention most people say don't even say it right. I, I, I they always mess it up, uh, ventriloquist. But that people. Uh, What do they usually say? They even say my name wrong. They call Paisy, Pizzi, Pozi. (laughs) They (laughs) call all kinds of names. There's a great joke like that too, where a guy takes his his wife home for a drink and the wife starts screaming her head off at the husband while his friend just sits there and listens. And she goes, where the hell have you been? She goes, I had no time to do my freaking hair, my makeup. These dishes are in the damn sink. You still have to walk the dog. And I don't think I'm cooking for you and your stupid ass friend. And finally she says to the friend, what are you doing here? And the husband says, well, I brought him here because he's thinking of getting married. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: are you, are, are you and your friends that you work with, are you guys sitting down together and writing jokes like that? Or did you kind of take older jokes sometimes and, and you tweak them a little bit? Both. Both.
2: both. yeah, because it's, you know, just like magic and other, and, and just like the seven wonders of the world, there's only like seven, types of humor, really, it breaks down in categories in some level. They always fit into one of these different categories.
4: It's like, like the, and, like the journeys of the, the, the hero and the, and, and all that yeah. And the archetypes.
2: Yeah. just like magic as well. There's, you know, there's levitation, there's appearances, disappearances, transformation, there's all these different things that the categories and same thing with comedy. There's, there's wordplay and then there's, uh, you know, stretching the truth and then there's reversal and then there's the, the D joke. And it, so it, it's, it's all the same thing. So when we sit down, uh, when I sit down when we, when I sit down and write a joke, I actually take something. First of all, I try to see the humor in everything. The, one of the first questions that you always ask whenever you read anything or see anything is, what's funny about it? And by having that question, you constantly start to see things that are funny. You're, you're creating in your mindset, what's funny about this? Like, and, and, and you, you start to, it it starts to become automatic to you. As a matter of fact, I say things and I shouldn't say all the time. I'm, I'm having like, I'm at the diner and the lady's like, how would you like your steak cooked? I said, in an oven, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you know, stuff like that. You, You just, you start automatically doing things that you wouldn't normally do. And then I say things I shouldn't say to people like women say something to you and I'll say something that's really probably inappropriate. (laughs) <laughs> I do it all the time. And I go, I'm sorry, I can't stop thinking like this. That's the way I think. That's the
4: way it's I funny. condition like It's fu- funny you say that I was talking to my, my fiance hope when we were discussing uh I don't know if she was reading something or I was reading something, but we were just having a conversation. She asked me, she said, What 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 goes here? Is this like a, a colon or is this a comma? Or she's like, What is it when you remove this? And I was like, I don't know, a colectomy? You know, a colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a grammatical. You're on colectomy. On wordplay. Yeah.
2: You're good on wordplay. I like it. I like there's a great one like that where a woman goes to the doctor and she says, I got diarrhea. Can I take a bath? And he goes, well, maybe if you have enough. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, I love wordplay. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the wordplay is, I mean, whether I'm taking TV shows, movies or cultural, uh, you know, things, I'm, I like to put all of that into show titles. And I sometimes people kind of overlook that. But when I when I'm building a show, kind of going back to what you said about wanting to know how I do this. When I'm building a show I just come up with these ideas for for show topics for show names and a lot of times I actually build a show around the name of the show that I come up with like you know well, I, we, we have this I see the shows. Yeah 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 you, I mean you probably yeah you probably see them so you you, you get an idea you listen anyway. I don't know I, I, th- I think it's fun. I just like to come up with names like it's kind of it's almost like a stretch, but like last night's show, I wanted to talk about the Leah Thomas story. And I wanted to talk about the Rachel Levine story. And I wanted to kind of put all this stuff together in the the trans quote unquote issue and look at it from an objective point of view rather than, you know, political. And I thought, well, I mean, you know, running a train, that means like to dominate. It's not just a sexual thing. It means to conquer. And I thought, ah, running a train, running a train on real women. I put that up and people thought it was funny. You know, it's kind of a little derogatory, a little bit, you know, touchy, but I come up with these things, and that's just kind of I guess how I prepare the show based on the name of the show sometimes and the promo more so than making that after the fact.
2: You don't get any, feed, you don't get any like negative feedback about the Rachel Levine thing or anything. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of people. This is a really sensitive area right now for a lot of people. Because, <laughs> well, I mean, you, U.S. made a woman of the year. That's kind of that's kind of difficult to absorb.
4: Well, I mean, I, I look at it from a different point of view uh in in the sense that if i'm looking at let's say a specific story like like leah thomas and there was another uh athlete who was actually swimming um named hazig or something and they're from yale Mm -hmm. university and they're a biological woman and they had uh no hormone therapy nothing but they are psychologically identified as a man and espn and the ncaa were like well they can compete in women's because they're still not taking hormone therapy. And I thought, but that's kind of a little bit different. If you have a biological woman, who's just a biological woman, who's not on any kind of uh, hormone suppressants or anything like that. They've not gone through surgery and they're competing with women. I think that's a little more fair than a guy who was like 450 second in the men's and then jumped into the women's pool and suddenly he's number one. I, I think that's a, there's a difference there. So I like to look at it from that point of view. I don't like to talk about the same, the same standard things and just regurgitate the talking points, which I mean, you're right. I am accused of that a lot of times. People will say, oh, you're conservative. Oh, you're a liberal. But I'm neither of those things. I just like to look at things from as much as possible, a a balanced perspective. Look at both sides of of the talking points and then, you know, kind of discuss them.
2: That's what a comic does, by the way. See, you're not creating humor out of it. You're creating content. But in actuality, what you're looking at it from a perspective of a comedian, because a comedian looks at it from... Multiple perspectives in order to find where the humor lies. You're looking to find empathy for both sides to understand the situation.
4: Yeah, I That's mean, I gather, And then we'll add, we'll add comedy in there. And, you know, I was talking last night about uh, Rachel Levine. I was like, it's Man of the Year. And then I had the excuse
2: me, it's Ma'am.
4: I had the sound clip. You know, it's Ma'am. <laughs> excuse
2: me, it's Ma'am. You so, know the whole Rachel Levine thing. Now I'm not writing jokes or anything about it right now, but I will say that it's it's a weird thing because if if a person, first of all. It must be offensive to women.
4: Well, right. That was my point women last was, night. Yes.
2: Yeah. That's got to be offensive to women. I mean, how many women, you know, over the years work really hard to get women to be equal and then look what's happening now. That doesn't make any sense on some level.
1: See,
4: that, yeah, that's I don't know how to that's that. that's my question, John. I've always said, like, if, if you're considering yourself part of the LGBT community and I ask this similar question for, for any controversial subject, if you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, et cetera. I just ask, like, if you're trans, you're actually trans, um, what exactly is it that is responsible for the immense amount of money and attention that goes into the so-called trans movement when trans people only make up 0.7% of the population? It's a lot of money. 0.7. 0.7%. 0.7%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less than a percent. That doesn't mean they're insignificant, that they're not human beings. I just don't understand how there's so much money and attention towards such a small segment of the population unless... There are people that are using that small minority group as a shield to advance other political progressive agendas. And then I say, well, I think if that's the case, if you look at it from that perspective, if you're actually trans or LGBTQ, you might want to take another look at what your groups are promoting. You might think that they're promoting you, but you might actually be being used as a shield for advancing some other political agenda. That doesn't benefit you, that ultimately you get thrown away in the end like a lot of feminists and women's rights people now. They, their movements apparently don't matter anymore. We've moved on to something else. And that's the kind of perspective I try to bring.
2: You know, every, I agree with you 100%. As it as coming out of your mouth, my head is shaking. Yep, you're right. You're absolutely right. But I don't see most people seeing it this way. They don't see it this way because they're in it and not outside of it looking in. So your perspective, I, I agree, is right on target, I would believe.
4: And, you know, of course, you you, you got people that if they're benefiting from something, you know, how can it be bad if you're benefiting from it? You have to have a really open mind and be able to see the context and, and, and the perspective of things, just like in comedy and radio and anything. We got to do that in our daily lives as well to, to make sure that we're not getting used and abused by people that say that they're standing up for us. I mean, I've asked people, too, John, like you think AT&T, Verizon, all these companies are spending billions of dollars on new technologies just so you can download a movie faster. I have a hard time believing that's the only reason. And if they're selling us that that's the reason why we have all these new advanced technologies, that kind of seems suspicious. I'd rather them be just honest with us. This is where the technology's heading. Why they got to sell it to us by, hey, you can download movies faster, you can get onto, you know, the internet and listen to music quicker. Like, to me that seems like a really mundane reason to spend billions of dollars. I, I don't know. I feel like there's always an ulterior motive when I hear things like that.
2: I know where you're going. You're going into that transhumanist mesh. <laughs> I I yeah. see where you're going there with that. <laughs> and bit. you're right. This 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 goes back to the, probably what I guess even our mutual friend who just passed away, that Luciferian Satanist, uh, Satanist uh, type behavior because they, it's like, it's almost as if they're here trying to manipulate us through music and entertainment and programming and subconscious and frequency and all that kind of thing. The major propaganda campaigns and electronics, you know, they want us to enter some sort of a pact with them for control. And uh, like, it's like signing up to Facebook. We don't read the terms. We just submit.
4: I think that's the same thing in like a lot of, a lot of comedy too. I think a lot of, especially like late night, comedy TV shows and whatnot where they have the writers writing the jokes. Even SNL has become like this too. It's just like a very hardcore political narrative that's constantly, consistently being pushed. And a lot of the times, I mean, in, in my opinion, it's totally subjective, uh, but a lot of times it's not even, there's not even humor there. It's just like a political statement that is masquerading as humor.
2: I agree with you hundred percent. And I, I, can't, I can't, I can't, that's why I don't like even watch a lot of this mainstream stuff. I, I live off of, information coming from videos and podcasts and alternative media. And I, I, I can't, I watch it occasionally and I can't stomach it. it it's almost like, stop, what are you doing? I, I didn't ask for this. Mm-hmm. And where's, where's the financing coming from that? Where is the top down pushing yes. that propaganda through? Where's that coming from? Who's in charge of that? What's the nameless, faceless people that control that real behavior? And as we speak about stuff like this, the average person thinks, oh, you know, the average person thinks you're an idiot. They would think that, Oh, these people are crazy. I don't think, I don't think it's crazy. I actually think it's, it's really there. It's so, so well kind of hidden that, um, the average person won't see it because they're, they're living in Shangri-La. They're in the, they're in the matrix. They're in that fake world. They don't really, they're, they're comfortably numb.
4: (laughs) Yes. Comfortably numb. And then that's because like, you know, Jordan Maxwell used to say too, the frog in the boiling water, it's been an incremental thing. And, um, you know, I, I think like when you hear stuff like this,
5: how dare you?
4: When you hear that, I understand she's a young girl. She does full clearly fully does not understand what she's a part of her being used for. Um, But when, when you hear a statement like that, how dare you? It puts the blame on you. You have to, like we talked about earlier with comedy and people that are offended by things, you have to then backtrack and defend yourself and apologize and, Try to figure out what's the right thing to say when you do that, you you lose your humanity. These people are bullies when they say things like that. You just have to push back and, you know, whether you go hardcore and give them the middle finger or you just try to logically explain it or you do something kind of in the middle, you you can't back down when you get accused of things like that, you know, And, and logic, unfortunately, doesn't always work with people who are illogical people that are kind of uh, hysterical, like that Karen at your show or the people that threw the, the woman that threw the fruit at the Hillary Clinton dummy. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. Logic doesn't work with that.
2: Uh, well, first of all, most of the people that behave this way are reactive and emotional as opposed to logical. I, I, first of all, I love logic. Logic is what every, the reason why we're here is based on logic. It's not emotional, emotional never builds a bridge, <clears throat> you know? So I, I logic is, how everything works in the world. I mean, we don't get anywhere without it. And I always said too, if like, if you're on a plane and it's about to go down, uh, who would you want your pilot to be on that plane? Do you want, you know, the, the real macho egotistical guy who knows how to run the plane or do you want somebody that's flim flailing, emotional and reactive and not, you know, being able to handle the stress as well. Right. I, I, logic is a wonderful thing and, and it's, it's a integral part of being human and it needs to be exercised in those areas that we just spoke about that's where that's where the logic comes in but when you're saying you saying try to explain it to somebody um, if a person is reactive and emotional there is no explaining because they're they're not working on the logic side of their brain and there's many people and I've met them in the world throughout my life that are extremely emotional and can't control their behavior because their emotions override their intellect.
4: That's exactly right. Yes, the emo- I mean that's yeah. that's the whole meaning of alchemy, the whole purpose of alchemy and, and and magic so far as I've studied it esoteric and the occult, it's to over the emotion is the the red dragon or the animal and you have to sacrifice the red dragon or the animal the animal sacrifice or you have to slay the red dragon like Siegfried in order to overcome that emotion and once you do that you realize that Like in the Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter has the philosopher's stone with him the whole time. It's within you. Once you overcome that emotion, you go through those trials and that process, and then you can be resurrected in a a living sense. You know, it's they call it living resurrection, and you're reborn again. That's why Christians call it being reborn again. And all of this is encompassed in the story of Jesus and Odin and all of these other archetypes.
2: Yeah, so you have a lot more basis about the backdrop of all of that. And, I, and as you say this, I want to like know more and more about it. I remember hearing years ago a great example from uh, a guy I met in Florida and I read his books. He was great. It was uh, uh, Wayne Dyer. I met him in Florida at a bar actually. And that's how I got into that guy's information. It was really, but he had this really wonderful uh, thing about emotions. I, I never forgot it. It was, he was saying, imagine there was a stagecoach and that the person in the stagecoach is handling all the – and there's reins on all the horses. And there's like, let's say, several reins on all the horses in front of you. And he's riding it. He gets shot. And as he gets shot, he dies. And now the horses are running out of control, not knowing where to go because there's no control. And he imagined mentioned that that is an example uh, as the reins being our emotions and the logic being the man on the inside of the stagecoach. And once that guy gets shot, the logic – Everything is out of control. Well, that's a really good description of where we are now. I think there's a lot of reins out of control, (laughs) and and, and, and it's (laughs) like
4: it's like like your 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 plane analogy. It's it's a good analogy too. It's the idea that like, do you want the pilot who's qualified, or do you want the pilot because they are the first trans pilot from Oklahoma, and we don't have enough trans pilots from Oklahoma. Uh, they they were last in class, they dropped out, but they got hired because they're trans and they're from Oklahoma. Um, or maybe the airline, uh, the airline companies don't have enough blind pilots and we need more inclusivity, more blind pilots that that would solve the problem of inclusivity, you know, equality. And just thinking of it like that. I mean, that is that's essentially what we're doing. We're not hiring people. We're not doing things that are that are <laughs> that are we're not hiring people based on merit. We're judging people based on the color of their skin or their sexuality or what they do in the bedroom. And that is the absolute opposite of even what Martin Luther King said, you know, judging someone based on their their character rather than the color of the skin.
2: That's exactly what's happening right now. And, and this is this is a really bad thing, because now, like with with the, the Senate, with they're all trying to uh, speak to uh, a new judge. And, and again, it's, it's based on because Biden said they wanted somebody of color in there. And I, I have no problem with that. I, I don't I don't even see color my as a comic i have to use it but it doesn't mean i agree with everything and that's what's happening right now it, it's the same exact uh, paradigm um I, I i don't care what color anyone is or what their sexual behavior is as long as it doesn't affect the job and when you have to fill a quota and you bring it up saying hey you're trying to fill a quota then you're pointed with a finger and saying you're a racist and that's where the problem lies. You're not a racist. You're just bringing up a point, but they use this, detraction, in a circle around in order to take it down. That's that's where the problem is.
4: Yeah, you're you're right, John. That's it's actually deflection
2: again. Deflection right is what I'm sure looking for.
4: It is deflection, and there's an there's actually a name for it. I mean, it's the, it the it's been. It's been attempted and tried in many ways over the years, and there's different uh, names that can be given to it. But cultural Marxism, uh, Jim Mars and I used to talk about that. It's cultural Marxism. It's putting people on the defensive. It's uh, even Karl Marx himself wrote that his idea of communism and Marxism was scientific, and if you disagree with it, you're anti-science. And that's what we hear all, t- all the time today. Everything is anti-science if you don't agree with the established order of the day, the established status quo of the day. It's like if you study history, you find all these things are happening throughout history and they're happening today. And when we look back, we know where they're coming from historically today. We think these are new or these are things that are going to make the world better, but they make the world a lot worse if you let them uh, metastasize and gestate to the point where they're, they're, uh, they're fully grown.
2: Yeah. And as long as people get more and more, I guess, locked up more and more secured in it, into this reality, the more, it's easy to continue to get on top of them more and more and more. I mean, it's basically uh, it's almost like handcuffs. I I see it like we're getting handcuffed and then you get the legs cuffed and then you get the neck cuffed. And it it just like, you keep doubling down on top of, of uh, humanity.
4: It's incremental.
2: (laughs) Incremental. Yeah. It's not, not, not a good thing. I I, I don't know. I I don't know where we're really going to end up with this. And what is the fix? Where is the, the, the guiding light to come out and say, "Hey, we could let this all go. We're all, you know, we're all really just one person trying to get through life. Where where does that come? When does that come in as the fix?"
4: Well, we have we really have to keep laughing about it. Comedy is really important. I try I try to inject comedy on this show, and we need to laugh about it, laugh about the absurdity, and not give it power. I mean, it's like it's like this tiny little thing. And it's growing and growing and growing, but we know that this tiny little thing is pure evil, but it's masquerading as all these good things. And we need to stop giving it power by backing down, by saying that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend anybody. Because I just tell people, John, you know what? I'm offended, you're offended. It's a stalemate. You know, that's <laughs> that's how I end the conversation. John Peasy with us tonight on The Secret Teachings. More after this. Stay with us.
1: facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info
3: You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email Ryan at rdgable
5: at yahoo.com. Hey there, this is Greg Carlwood of The Higher Side Chats, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
4: Welcome back to the Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. If you'd like to contact us, rdgable at yahoo.com. That's rdgable at yahoo.com. Please check out our website, thesecretteachings.info. Subscribe to the full private archive for all of our shows, montages, my digital books. There's an embedded player there. Once you subscribe, you can listen and stream and download the show. You can also find my books on the website. Check us out on Patreon for behind the scenes content and our affiliate sponsor, Pro and Water Filters. We don't really make a lot of money off of them, but a little bit here or there never hurts. And of course, you get a really good product for uh, what you pay anyway, and it lasts a very long time. And you got clean water, Pro and Water Filters, the secret info. Also, social media, Facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. Our final segment tonight with our friend John peasy John Peasy, J-O-H-N-P-I-Z-Z-I.com. And John has been a friend uh, of the show for quite some time. He's listened to the show for some time and he has an interest in esoterica and occultism. And I, I think we kind of shifted a little bit from comedy into some more controversial hot topics and looking at them from a different perspective in the last segment. And in this segment, uh, you know, John, I always like to get uh, an opportunity when I'm a guest on the show to have a little bit of an open floor. I want to give you that open floor right now. And Anything on your mind? Anything you want to talk about? Uh, share it with us and we'll go from there.
2: Yeah. I'd like to ask you a couple questions myself, actually. I, you know, during the break here, I was thinking, by the way, I'm really enjoying this. It's almost just like hanging out with friends, talking. Be like we should have coffee right now at a diner <laughs> in
4: Jersey. Right. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a uh, co- comedian radio hosts on, uh, on radio having coffee like the Jerry Seinfeld show. It's a little different.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking that during the break about... Um, What's going on in America right now, what we're just talking about, and I remember seeing this uh, reference from a, a writer named Wexel, and it's interesting because this writer was writing about what happened in Nazi Germany and during you know that whole nastiness, and he wrote, it wasn't the convinced Nazis that was the real problem in Germany. it was the apathetic Germans that saw what was happening and did nothing, and I kind of feel like we're the apathetic Americans. There's a large portion of people doing nothing right now. And I I really, I'm not sure how to organize that even in my mind and with others to create, we all need to just laugh again and let go and not be so attached to the results and pointing fingers and Just need to accept everything and let it go. Just let it go. That's the way it used to be at one point. And and I think now it's going to, it's being pushed to be hidden in, in, and yet 99% of the country is pretty cool. And then there's like a certain small percentage that's trying to control, uh, the behaviors. And they scream,
4: they scream the loudest and often violent.
2: So I I don't know, uh, you know, who's in control here? (laughs) It's like, what is control? I mean, people say, oh, God's in control. Okay, well, he doesn't want you to learn to shovel and pray that you find a hole. You know, he wants you to do it on your own. And so what do we need to do on our own so we're not apathetic Americans? That's what was happening right now and not doing anything. What do we need to do? I it, find that to be a, a really contemplative thought that I'm not even it sure It is where contemplative, to go. yeah. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions, though, really quick.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the so, way the I, way the way that you say that, I feel like I'm under arrest or something. I'll only ask you a couple of questions, being
2: investigated. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? Yeah, well, I'm going to have to bind you in a black leather mask first before we do this. So then you'll then you'll get the real questions. Um, so I had sent you an email a long time ago, and I had asked you this question, and it was really great way you responded, and I, I think it should be readdressed though. Tell me about sigils, because I went online, I started looking into sigils, and people were showing you how to make a sigil online. It was, it was like taking this paper, drawing this picture, folding it this way, doing that, doing all these things, and growing out of it, and trying to give it power. I don't think the average American, matter of fact, I know the average American, doesn't even know what the word means, nor do they understand what's going on with it. And is there any true power to it?
4: Well, that's a great question. And that's something I talk about in my Occult Arcana book. I know you have a a copy of that. I actually sent you two Mm -hmm. copies by accident um, a couple couple of years ago. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to define a sigil. Uh, A sigil is basically a symbol. It could be a color. It could be blue and yellow, like Ukraine. And uh, what those colors also imply when you mix them, green, transformation, alchemy, money could mean a lot of things to different people. Uh, a sigil could also be uh, a letter, uh, a symbol of some kind. A sigil could also be, um, I mean, even a dummy, a dummy. The dummies that you have, th- those are also sigils. It's, it's, in essence, a symbol is uh, an effigy that represents something else. So you have an idea that you put into a sigil. If you're talking about sigil making, like if you see that in a book or if you see that online, they teach you how to make these like kind of generalized symbols using certain sympathetic And by sympathetic, I mean using the color yellow for the sun, the power of the sun, or using the color maybe silver for the the moon or something to that effect. Uh, If you read a lot of esoteric books, a lot of occult books, they show you like it's the master course uh, on how to make symbols and how to use colors and how to use uh, lines and dots and different things to... To, to bring that power that you're trying to draw down from a planetary source or you're trying to draw in a cultural source. That's what memes are. Memes are sigils. Um, and it draws that power, that energy into it. And the more people that look at it and pay attention, when you pay attention, it's like paying with money because your energy, your consciousness is a form of currency. Currency is electricity, energy, currency, money, money, electricity, You exert energy to get the money, then you use the money on other things that people might have made or, you know, developed using energy. So you put all this together, and a sigil is basically this little effigy. It's this little thing, kind of like a golem. And then when we pay attention to it, when we inscribe the name, uh, I think in Hebrew it's item, it's truth. And we put that name on the golem, and it comes to life. And so when we have so much cultural focus, societal focus, attention uh, in media, entertainment, etc., on one thing... People like myself start to ask, why is there so much attention on this one thing when this one thing is a relatively insignificant thing uh, overall when you take all things into consideration? Or why is there so much um, this might, John, this might sound a little bit off topic, but I'll I'll give you another uh, another example. Um, Okay. speaking about something that's a little controversial, a little bit. ooh, It's uncomfortable, but think about pornography for one moment. If you go online and type in uh, into the news section, don't go to a porn website, but if you go to a news section and, and you ask the question, why is there so much incest porn, you'll find confirmation of this all throughout the media. And a lot of people, uh, even people that are more promiscuously liberal and write you know, publications about that kind of thing, are asking the same questions. Why is there so much incest porn? You can get pornography, of course, for free anyway, anywhere you go on the internet, but why... Why do you have so much porn being produced and so much incest porn? It's, you start to wonder and ask, well, who's paying for that? Somebody has to be paying for that and subsidizing it. They can't be making that much money off of it when you can get it all for free anyway. So you start asking these questions, you start to realize, like, that's a really specific thing, incest porn, or it's a really specific thing to focus on a certain tiny percent of the population, or it's a really specific thing to focus just on Ukrainians as refugees out of Ukraine when there are tens of thousands of Russians that have been killed in the breakaway regions by the Ukrainians or uh, over the last seven years. Or you have uh, the United States bombed Somalia two weeks, three weeks ago, and Syria is being bombed by Israel today, but there's no focus on that, right? So all these things, whether it's an idea, it's a specific symbol, it's blue and yellow, uh, it's the symbol of the mask, these are all sigils that when we put our energy into them, put our currency into them, it grows the idea behind it. So, for example, you could interpret a mask in a lot of ways, but a mask, that could be something that's interpreted as a form of cultural BDSM. It's a form of submissiveness. It's a form of subservience. It's a form of uh, being muzzled, silencing yourself, and doing so as part of a, of a group collective for the quote-unquote better good. I'm wearing this to protect you. So there's that layer to it. You can just keep peeling back these layers Ultimately, we might not know what someone intends with a specific sigil, uh, and they might not be crafting it in a dark room. You know, I'm going to make this symbol. We're going to make people do these. But it has the same effect as magicians and others that literally sit down and they paint and they, they make their sigils. And, and real magicians do that to draw down, you know, the forces of, um, you know, maybe Mercury for, for thoughts and for speaking and for oration or the sun for strength or Jupiter for victory Others use it for you know more Saturnistic influences of power and control, and they want to they want to um, uh, manipulate the lives of other people. And I don't know that th- there's a lot of ways to look at it, uh, but giving you that kind of a general overview, I hope I hope that makes sense. It's a little a little, a little more complex than that email uh, I originally sent you. you be- but
2: do you believe that there's power given to? It? I mean, and when you say that, you know, when you look at a porn site like that, and they're promoting one side of the agenda on something. Is that proof of it? It's power?
4: I think to some extent the porn example might not be the best example for that. But I mean, if you think about how quickly people pivoted from being concerned about a pandemic to being concerned about a war in Ukraine in a country that uh, even Nancy Pelosi, when she was talking about it, thought Hungary was invaded. Hungary isn't on the border of Russia, uh, not even the, not, <laughs> not the same country. Um, but But you see... That you know, ideas can be crafted and people's perceptions can be molded simply by what they're they're having their attention focused on. So it's it's psychology, it's uh, uh, it's it's diversion, it's sleight of hand. So it's a little bit of stage magic as well, um, and in a sense, it's also real magic—not uh, in the Harry Potter sense, of course, but because. You're drawing people's attention to a certain thing, like you draw down the energies from a, a, a planetary sphere or consciousness into this thing, and the desire of the operator is to use that energy to uh, to do any number of things. Um, I use the Super Bowl as an example. The Super Bowl, little wordplay is a big bowl, and all the energy, the millions of people that watch it and pay attention to it, and a lot of energy goes into it, and all that energy can then be... Held in the bowl and then dumped out as a libation to something as part of a cultural, societal ritual. Um, it can be poured out into the corporations that sponsor and advertise during the Super Bowl, which they do that because there's so many people watching. They pay tens of millions for a minute, 30 second minute commercial. Um, companies want to sell you Pepsi. Governments want to sell you right. their narrative. And that's, that's what those things are used for. So, the proof of it is the fact that when our perception is focused so heavily on something, you know you're usually looking at a sigil. That blue and yellow, you're looking at a sigil. There's a deeper meaning behind it.
2: Do you think it's parasitic?
4: It is kind of parasitic, yeah. It's a little bit parasitic. It's it's more so rather than something attaching to you, something is getting you to come to it to attach to it because you think, you know, I'm a good person because I put this blue and yellow up on my Facebook page or I uh, I took a knee, you know, during the national anthem. I'm, I'm a good person. It's, psychologists call it, um, they, they refer to it as virtuous signaling, but they, they describe it as, it, by doing these kinds of things, it gives you this impression that you, and, and, and it actually happens in the real world, you develop a form of social currency. So it's kind of a, a precursor to the idea of the Chinese social credit score that if you're going to wear the blue and yellow mask, Uh, it's, it's kind of like Kramer and Seinfeld. Why don't you wear the ribbon? Why don't you put on the ribbon? You know, it's kind of like that. And, uh, we're being drawn to it and it acts parasitically by taking that energy. So it doesn't really come to us necessarily. It kind of sets a trap. It's like a bait and switch. We come to it because we want, we're good people. Most people are good people, John. And then they just get consumed. It's like a fish hook and we bite the hook and that's it.
2: It's good people that are misinformed.
4: Yes, sir. I think that's it. Misled.
2: Hey Brian, where do you think we're going over the next decade? Do you, are we getting going to get worse and worse, or better and better? What do you think? Are we going to get stopped, or we're going to just fall apart? Where do you think we're going? In your estimation, from what you can see, because you have a you're, you have a really clear explanation of uh, of the backdrop here. So, what about the future?
4: It's funny you asked me that question. We didn't uh, to be clear with the audience. Uh, we did not script any of this, so I, I didn't know. No, you- no. Yeah, I didn't Not know John all. was going to ask me these questions. I pe- people ask that question a lot. People used to ask me that question when I uh, I first started radio over 10 years ago and they would ask a similar question. They would ask me the question of what do we do? So much bad stuff, what do we do? And I started to think, okay, I got to have an answer for that. <laughs> so, I, so I don't <laughs> sound stupid. So like what what do we do? I don't know. Um well, I think it's a general word, a uh, general statement, general implication, but responsibility, being responsible uh, is one thing that we can do. It it doesn't solve all of our problems, but it could solve some of our individual problems. And since we're individuals, we're individual bricks in the societal temple, we solve our individual problems, then you know society as a whole might start to shift or change. But then again, it's all about perspective. And recently on the show, I've been talking about what's happened to human civilization in the last 100 years. We live more than twice the age on average. We live 72.6 years on average in the developed world. In the developing world, they live uh, about twice the, the the age, so they're like it's up to forty four years or fifty years in the in the developing world, the third world. We have sliced illiteracy in half; more people can read now more than ever, despite the fact that we have immensely more people than we did in the nineteen fifties and sixties. We've got like four, almost five billion more people. We went from three three and a half billion to what what is it eight billion today? We have more food available today than we've ever had in human history, and it's cheaper. We have, uh, you know, washing machines and dryers and refrigerators and TVs and, you know, at one point in history, where a book might have cost a lot of money and it had to be, you know, hand, uh, you know, written by a monk. I mean, I've got literally probably 500 books in my studio uh, of a variety of different subjects, and we can communicate with our friends and relatives and loved ones all across the the world and all across an immense amount of distance in a matter of seconds. Pick up a phone, call them, text them. Like life is not that bad. But when we focus our attention on the, 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 the flood, you know, that happens or the fire that happens, we, st- we think, oh, oh, well, there's flooding and there's fires and there's storms. and, But even if you look at the data on that, there's less flooding, there's less fires, there's less storms. And a lot of that is because we've adapted to things. We have better water management, better forest management. We have uh, better... We have better ways that we build, uh, you know, build homes. We have emergency warning systems for hurricanes and tsunamis and things like that. Like the world has gotten immensely better, John. So I think the world is going to continue to get immensely better. But if we continue to focus on things that are really, really, I don't want to call them dark because there are people that are world economic forum and Klaus Schwab type people that are, it seems, intending to reset the world. I think these people want to end the progress and to end the, um, the quality of life that has become so great for so many people because they lose an immense amount of control. So they've convinced you the world's falling apart, the world's dying, we need to reset everything and everybody gets excited for that even if they deny it exists. But ultimately the world has gotten immensely better and it's so good we don't even have the perspective to realize what it would be in the developed world to not have the kinds of things we have, to not turn on running water, to not have electricity, to not, you know, upset the, the memes and the, and the videos that you see around Christmas, you know, the, the young teenage guy or girl is upset because they got an iPhone 9 and not a 10, you know, <laughs> things like that. The, the point is the world's getting better, and I think because the world's getting better, there are really sadistic, psychotic people that don't like that other people are living the high life And they want to take the world down and reset it so everybody lives impoverished. Equal opportunity, equal outcome, and all these things we're told about, it means everybody is equally poor. Everybody equally lives in the destitute condition. Everybody is equally a serf serving a global unified system.
2: And you'll have nothing and be happy. You
4: have nothing and be happy. Yeah. You won't have anything and you'll be very excited. You know, about I see it. it
2: happening too here in New York, New Jersey. And, and uh, I've been doing all these events uh, and these buildings. They have, people have these buildings and uh, they rent these apartments. They're basically square boxes, you know, like triangles. Well, yeah, triangles. And they're about between 2 and $3,500 a month for a studio with one bedroom, an apartment building where there's no. There's no place to park a car, obviously, because there's hundreds of thousands of people in these buildings with a surrounding in downtown Brooklyn and areas of Brooklyn. that used to be um, an area you wouldn't go in in the 70s, and now it's uh, the warehouse has turned into these high apartment buildings. But again, again, I see this happening. I see the opportunity being missed for young people to grow and have something when you're already being squeezed to have something now. If you're going to have the newest iPhone and you're going to have a $3,000 month apartment and you're going in at a city and it costs you $8 for a cup of coffee and $12 for your whatever that you eat that night, whatever you add it all up really quickly, there's no way to save money and get ahead. You're, you're, you're already a slave in a sense to the system thinking you're happy, but you're really not. Uh, there's no opportunity for people to grow. When you're being already bombarded with your income being spent, yeah, part, trying to hold on.
4: Part of that, I think, is when I say responsibility, and I'm just I'm sort of developing this idea now. I, I kind of realize I think perspective um, from the from the point of view that we have to maybe think like think think of think of the things that that you think about uh, in terms of politics or war, or, you know, starvation or whatever whatever the issue is, and think about what you're not thinking about, try to get a different perspective on it. You could do that by listening to other people that disagree with you or whatever, but just like maybe write it down. Like this is what I think, but is there another way to look at this? But you know, obviously that takes a lot of, a lot of uh, self introspection and it takes the, um, the overriding of the ego and the emotions to be able to do that. But that's, I think that's the way that we we can overcome this. It's like altering our perception by not focusing so heavily on Again, I don't want to say the dark things or the negative things because you can perceive anything like that. But not focusing on the things that, like whatever the issue of the day is, there's always more stuff going on. That's not the only issue. Just getting that new perspective and taking responsibility in that way, I think, is a is a good solution to start.
2: You know, there's two points here when you say because as as you're speaking this and I'm I'm agreeing with you, and then through my mind I'm it's going in different directions really quickly. I love the word responsibility because as a comedian, when you write jokes and things, you don't think. You think about words because words are really powerful and, and you need to have the right words. Like I said, when I was a kid in school, I really didn't study very well. I wasn't really uh, academic at all. I was goofball. But the word responsibility means to respond with ability. And we don't think we don't break down words and com- we compartmentalize things in different ways. And to respond with ability is the word when <laughs> we don't think of what the word really, really means. And it's the same thing, like one of my favorite words is inspiration. It's, you know, people don't think about really what does it mean. It means to be in spirit. So it means that something above you comes into you and through you and out of you, and you're inspired and you're inspiration. So when you say the word responsibility, and and I see it as like, how do I respond? And also in reference to your point about you – not focusing what you say that may be the, th- the th- dark, dark things or things that we shouldn't look at or things that are negative. I have this uh, huge dichotomy about whether I should or shouldn't, because I look into this a lot. And the more I look into it, even my wife said to me, what are you looking at all that stuff for? Why bother? It's like, you know, it's not helpful to me. I think you need to know evil, but you need to know the dark side or you need to know what's wrong in order to recognize it when it's in front of you or around you. It's almost like dog crap you got to walk down the street and you want to not step in it
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah once someone... you
2: expect once you step in it once you kind of get like i'm not going to do that again you know i mean like, yeah well, I was if are prior to that you wouldn't you wouldn't recognize
4: if you're walking down the street and i'm like hey hey john there's 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 dog shit right there you know, you keep walking, you're like, ah, screw you. And you step in and you're like, God, God damn I step right, in. You dance. step
2: in anyway. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. I'll step in if I want to step in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and get off my lawn. <laughs> get off my
4: lawn. That's right. That's right. And we got about like five and a half minutes left here just for the record too.
2: Oh, wow. I got to tell you, this is so much fun. It feels like, like you said, we're just hanging out, having a good time. I, uh, I'd love to really dive into you for two or three hours and just really deep dive it's fine because i i really love the books i love the podcast and um also i was just thinking that i was just mentioning that my wife always says to me why are you looking at this stuff because i constantly look at symbolism I'm, i'm a big fan of trying to understand symbolism i look at it all the time and and i i i go deep dive into the world economic forum and nato and all these these uh, IMF and I I understand what the Vatican and Switzerland and all that. I really deep dive into all that. And my wife's like, what are you looking at all that stuff for? And I'm like, it's like, why don't you focus on what's good and right? And I want to just understand what's wrong because I want to see it when it's in front of me. Always. I want to be very, very aware of both sides. You know, light doesn't exist without dark and you need to understand both. That's
4: right. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like a fallacy too, if you think about it, because it's the idea that, Someone's doing something really bad. We project our goodness on others. We don't think that could happen. But if there is bad going on, I'd like not to know about it. I'd like not to think about it. But if someone was coming to raid your village or your house was on fire, or maybe you're doing a performance and, you know, someone's out in your car uh, stealing your, your dummies. I mean, you probably want to know about that.
2: Exactly. Simply put. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I was saying that humor is very much like the esoteric because it's going over the line of what's the norm. And going over the line of what's the norm is my whole life has been looking at that. I I really love, even as a kid, you know, I really, I I questioned everything. I'm passionate about anything that I don't understand. I want to grab and understand and eat up all the knowledge of life. And yet you can't. So I can only, I'm limited yeah, well, you, in my like mentality. Me, you,
4: we're both infomaniacs. I have to consume. Absolutely. Constantly consume. Hey, let me let me ask you a quick question. Yes or no. Maybe a sentence. Have you ever had to mask your dummies?
2: I actually did for jokes. As a matter of fact, uh, I had bought one of those thermometers that handheld that you press against your forehead and it tells you your temperature. Oh yeah. Yeah. And every time I took out the dummy, I would always check his temperature and make sure he was okay. <laughs> it was okay. <just> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was really funny, people thought it was silly, you know, um I did figure out, but you know the pandemic did add a lot of strange things to the act it, it did. I ended up needing to take people on stage to do audience participation, so I had to start doing stuff where I just was selling stuff towards you as opposed to bringing you up to interact with me, which was an interesting challenge and um the social distancing thing was was another thing. You know what I usually do? I would unzip my fly and uh walk around. So if you saw it, you were too close. That's the way I figured that would <laughs> solve that problem.
4: That's right. That does solve the problem. That's a pretty easy It did fix. solve the problem.
2: And unfortunately, no one ever saw it. But the <laughs> other thing is that, and my wife and I too, we, you know, when it first happened, we were washing the cereal boxes and stuff back in March 2020. And, and we actually sat on the couch like 10 feet apart. And I learned a lesson from that too. We were We were never so close. So things have changed.
4: <laughs> and you know, you know what? I also forgot to mention this. You talk about the word un, like under you said, understand uh, our friend Jordan Maxwell. Uh, one of the last times he was on the show, the archive is on the secret It's a free one, too, with all the Maxwell shows. And if you want to listen, uh, he said, do you know what understand means? And that was one of the words I, I didn't I never thought about that. And he said, understand is a basically a question of compliance. Do you understand? Do you stand under me in the hierarchy? Do you understand me?
2: Yeah. They I mean, use that in court too. Don't they use yes. that in court? Yeah. Where they, yeah, where, they got the you by the office. balls. Right, right, right. I never hear him saying that many times. You know, I tried to get uh, him to come on and speak with us. And um, he wanted me to buy all of his DVDs or something. And but, they were like, I don't know, four or $500 worth of DVDs. And I ended up sending him saying, I don't even want the DVDs. <laughs> but here, we sent him a couple hundred dollars anyway. But he never came on. And then he sent me links to all the DVDs anyway.
4: That's weird. Maybe I mean, came, were you dealing with Maxwell directly or maybe dealing with those scam artists that run his website? No,
2: no, directly with, with him, I believe. I mean, I have the emails here to this day. And, and I always felt like uh, I, I always felt like I was really wanted to talk to the guy before. And now he's gone, of course. It's uh, terrible. I, I was a, I'm a big fan of his work. I think he did a great job. He, he really did have a voice in this business.
4: I didn't know that you knew Jordan Maxwell until he came on the show tonight. Uh, we're gonna. Yeah, have- I
2: will send you. I, I have every. I have all of his stuff. If you'd like, I'm a big fan of his his work. I like the way he broke down words and as a comedian, like I said earlier, words are everything. Word yep. words are, are how we express life. And um, I wish I had a better understanding of all the English language. I I write hit jokes <laughs> primarily <laughs> you know? uh, because that's what people want to hear. And as a matter of fact, as a comic, sometimes you have to write to the lowest level in yeah. order to make people laugh because that's what. They well, leave.
4: Well you could say that you got a good hold on the penis jokes probably then.
2: <laughs> hey, don't stretch the truth. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Yeah. You you could say it. You don't
4: you I don't, don't want to get you don't want to get a swollen head.
2: I, there you go. As a matter <laughs> of fact, uh, I heard that masturbation was better with a dead arm. But apparently ruined the funeral that I was at. <laughs> I wrote that joke. <laughs> well, I, think, I it's think a classic joke too. Like where the guy goes, uh, kid comes home, father comes home and sees his son and he goes, "Stop that! You're going to go blind." And father, and he goes, "Dad, I'm over here." <laughs> <laughs> it's I so love,
4: love it, joke. it's so good to laugh. John Peasy, thank you so much for coming on the show, and I and I really appreciate the support. I mean, you you you've bought the uh, the occult arcana book, and you've uh, you've listened to the show for some time. I appreciate that.
0: Oh,
2: my pleasure. I, I love being here, and I love being able to speak to you personally, and I will hope to have a longer conversation with you on another note. And just for the heck of it, um, I have a friend of mine named John Golasu that he put me in this book and sent me. I'm going to send you this stuff. You're going to love it. He made a DVD called Just Laugh um, and a book called Just Laugh, Smile, A Grin, A Laugh That's Life. And it's called um, justlaugh.org. You can see there's a DVD about humor
3: mm-hmm. and
2: how helpful it is to help people get over illnesses and, and how it helps us in our life of health. I'd love just I, I'd love to see that. And, and John
4: com. right?
2: That's for me. Yeah. And I'm going to send you these today. I think you're going to enjoy the DVD and the book. Yeah.
4: All right. Sounds good. And you know, I, I, one thing we didn't talk about tonight, just real, real quick as we wind down here is in terms of like, uh, you know, not backing down and, and, and laughing at yourself. I don't care what people think about me. I always like listening to Alex Jones because Alex Jones has become a cultural meme. And, uh, when people make fun of him, he just goes along and makes fun of himself. And that's, and that's become more of a powerful thing. He's become more famous because he allows himself to be made fun of. And when you find people that are like that, you know, it's, there's usually like a powerful essence to that, whether you like him or not, you know, there's something to be said about that, laughing at yourself, uh, joking around like that. And uh, we try to do that here in the secret teachings, John, thanks so much for coming on the show.
2: I totally agree with you. And when they're pointing out the finger at the person at the, stopping them from speaking, that's the person I want to listen to.
4: That's exactly right. So you want to listen to The Secret Teachings. We've been banned from a lot of places.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Ryan. Your pleasure.
4: You got it. We, we will absolutely do another show sometime very, very soon. We'll, we'll kind of get into some of the more esoteric stuff you wanted to talk about. Uh, also, and, I'll
2: write, and I'll write fresh dick jokes for it.
4: That's fantastic. I, I'd, I'd love some fresh, <laughs> some fresh <laughs> jokes. We need some fresh... Fresh jokes here on The <laughs> Secret Teachings. And also, maybe you can uh, you come back and um, uh, we'll uh, maybe I'll have some jokes for you, too.
2: I'm waiting. Thank you so much. You're a delight and a pleasure.
4: You as well, John. Johnpz.com. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. www.thesecretteachings.info Subscribe to the show. Get access to the montages. Download all the shows ad-free. The digital books. Grab a copy of one of my books, on the website that supports us that keeps us on air it's the only thing that supports us and keeps us on air otherwise stay safe stay informed stay healthy talk to you on the next broadcast